Jeff Wah. Oh. Share prices down over 90% over the past year. They're in a trading hole today. They're raising money. They're raising money. We've seen this before, haven't we? They raised, wait for it, 231 million bucks in just November of last year ago. They also raised $136 million in 2021, and they issued a US $100 million bond. Now, the, the announcement that came out around the time of that financing, that said that they're fully funded, that S&P was fully funded as well. That gives us a fully funded pathway. Strong words, JD. Strong indeed. Righto, Money Miners. Today is the 28th of June. It's a Wednesday. G'day, JD. Filling in for the famous Matty Michael today, who's a bit under the weather, I feel. He's had a big night on the uh, on the business development for Money of Mine. So we're going to have to bring the energy today, mate. And we've got a bloody jam-packed one, don't we? Mate, we sure do. It started a bit, a bit quiet looking at the announcements, but it turned out to be a, a pretty strong one. We've got Musgrave and Westgold, a bit more news out of that one. What else do we have? Encounter, Orobanda. Oh, mate, what? Musgrave Westgold, my favourite new M&A deal. I can't wait to talk about that one. We've got some twists. But we, we, we had to find a new favourite, didn't we? We do indeed. I see Wayne commenting on our, uh, our LinkedIn post encouraging Rob Water to come on the show. So our invitation is open, Rob. The, the phone line is open. We've also got uh, Carnaby, Mincor, Hot Chili and NRW. Oh, mining services. So, we've, we've dabbled in the territory now. We're going there fully. I like it, JD. But what's the deep dive on today? It. And then we're going to go, well, I think we've gone pretty deep on Musgrave. We'll see. We'll see. We could chat for a while on that one. But Jevoir, they get a they get a good look in as well, don't they? Oh, yeah. Mate, Musgrave, Westcott, I love talking about m and at the top of the show, JD. Uh, and this this is definitely uh, our new favorite deal. We're trying, to, we're trying to get entrenched into it. We're trying to become as active as we can. Uh, and so what's news today? That's the question, right? Well, Musgrave, they've put out an additional letter to shareholders today. You might be wondering, why is it additional? Well, it's to complement the letter that sent out two days ago when they recommended their shareholders to reject the West Gold offer. And when you read it, it's a pretty funny document, JD. It's a letter that feels like it includes a bunch of information that doesn't support the strong recommendation that was uh, recommended in the last letter. It's a bit more damp and, and, and nuanced, I think. Um, it's almost It almost reads as if they had to put this additional letter out as if they got in trouble for not including this information in the first letter. That's the way it reads to me. Agreed, mate. Agreed. I think the uh, the lawyers might have been a bit busy behind the scenes, hey? It looks that way. I've got a couple of examples to point to to illustrate what I mean, JD. And I think um, a big takeaway I've got is that things might not be as friendly as they first seemed or as, as Wayne lets on. That's that's my takeaway. So one example is uh, they, they while they do – like, and if you remember to the letter that they put out the first time, the very first point they argued was that we recommend no because our share price is actually trading higher now than the implied merger ratio. So don't don't accept. You, you're better off just selling your shares on market if you if you wanted to exit, right? Which uh, anyway, so they made that point, but this time around they're they're still uh, still sticking to that line of thinking. But they've included a table this time, which shows that uh, even though that is the the current case with the trading price. If you do compare the uh, offer to the relevant VWAPs historically, then it is a premium. Um, they put in this nice, pretty table showing you what the premiums are uh, on the on the five-day VWAP, the 30-day VWAP, and the 60-day 
VWAP there, which is uh, great. They're actually, yeah, showing it is a premium because, you know, you've got to compare stuff based on the undisturbed share price, JD. Yeah, 100%. We'll chuck that that chart in the YouTube. Mm-hmm. Now, this, these tables are pretty familiar to me. You, you put together a lot of this sort of stuff in um, M&A, mate, but the typical, uh, if you see the, the second column there, it's comparing what the premiums are versus the 5th of June, 2023. Now that, that date there, what should really go in that column there is the last close of the undisturbed share price before the offer. Now, um, because you want to you be able to compare it on that metric versus the VWAPs as well, right? Now, they've included the 5th of June, a specific date there, 5th of June, 2023. That's fascinating to me, JD, because that's the public holiday where, um, where Westcold basically said there's abnormal trading. We're considering there's been a leak. And um, so we're coming public now with our, our offer. So what we, we, what we can see by revelation of this table is the undisturbed share price is disputed. Musgrave is saying it's the 5th of June. And for, for people just listening in, that, that public holiday we're talking about was the WA public holiday where we still had trading over East and that sort of preempted the, the announcement being revealed. Yep, yep. There was um, abnormally high volume in Musgrave. Share price went up a fair bit. Um, and so Westcott assumed that there had been a leak. So they launched the, yeah. the takeover offer the next day. And at the time, they I think they flagged that there'd been something like six times the the average uh, daily volume on that given day. So they thought the deal had been leaked and they had to come out and, and tell the market. Yeah. I love, uh, I love the both of the uh, M&A transactions that we've gone into the weeds on a bit, JD. There's um, some real, real sticking points in the premiums. It's all about what are you referencing in your discussion of premiums? That seems to be a big focus in this case. What we can see here is Musgrave is saying that the undisturbed share price is closed as at 5th of June. West Gold is saying it was closed the Friday before when they considered there to be no leak. So fascinating. That one's going to pan out, but it really does give me the impression that things are not as friendly as they might seem anymore, JD. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's more though. There is more. If you, uh, if you keep reading, um, you'll see that, that Musgrave also include a chart which looks back um, at their share price over the last 12 months and compares it to a flat line, which is the implied West Gold offer price. Um, and what you can see from that chart is that, yes, the West Gold offer price actually is higher than any of the historical share price over the last 12 months. But if you were to just skim read this chart, you might not have picked that up because they've used a very bold red font for the implied offer price value today and a very light gray um, formatting for the West Coast price um, at the bid. So again, very, very clever um, stuff here, JD. Very interesting. Very good, mate. I think you just need to look where the where the sort of incentives are, what they're trying to show, and and that'll all make sense. Now, there's a bit of mention of the the PFS in, in today's announcement. You obviously dug in a bit more. Yeah. What are they sort of talking about there? This is the bit to me that feels like they've included this letter because they had to, right? Um, it's a very precautionary type of tone going on here, um, you know, highlighting disclosures about certainty of numbers uh, and everything. So it really just feels like they had to had to include this because someone's told them off. 
um, and and what they're what they're you know adding some more color around and more disclosure around uh, numbers in relation to their PFS. I'm just going to read a couple of uh, uh, quotes just so you get an idea of the language. They say. Readers are encouraged to read that the announcement in, de in detail, uh, that's the announcement about the PFS, in particular, the material assumptions underpinning the stage one PFS disclosed throughout that announcement and the extensive risk disclosures in section 18 of that announcement. Then separately, it says, indicated mineral resources account for approximately 77% and inferred mineral resources approximately 23%. So that's in relation to the mine plan in the PFS. Uh, the production has been scheduled such that less than 7% by tonnage and less than 1.7% by gold ounces of the inferred material is mined and processed in the first year. So that's interesting. They don't talk about what's after the, the first year. Um, with the remainder mined through to the end of mine life, the inferred material does not have a material effect on the technical and economic viability of the Q Gold Project. So we've got some very fascinating uh, words in there, JD. What do you think? So, so, so given all of that, and what you've previously said about, you know, you're getting the impression that somebody's made them put this out, that the sort of natural thoughts are, you know, maybe the stock exchange itself, maybe shareholders, maybe Westgold. Have you sort of got a, a take on on who sort of put them to this? Oh, if I if I would if I were to guess, I would say uh, my suspicion would be that, you know, Westgold have read their recommended rejection. They've taken issue with some of the lack of detail or lack of clarity. Um in certain areas and they've penned a letter to Musgrave and Musgrave have either responded to them directly or they've responded by way of just um, releasing this to ASX to, to preempt some of those questions. Uh, hey, watch, watch this space. I'm sure there will be a lot more sort of ink to be spilled on that one. That's super interesting. To encounter. Let's crack on encounter. Mineralized carbonatite. So we'd... Um, We'd been sort of keenly watching this. We even flagged it when they went into a trading halt a couple of days ago. Now, Encanta is obviously the um, the neurology play to WA1, so just the other side of the tenements there. The headline they came out with today was that they'd mineralized, hit mineralized carbonatites in, or they intersected over 3.5 kilometers. So the market quite liked it. They're up 30 odd percent. And I, I don't think that's too surprising, you know. Obviously, they've got hints of mineralization and niobium and rare earths in these carbonatites. And given the amount of interest that was generated by WA1, it's it's not too surprising to see a lot of people sort of pile in there. I think it's also worth mentioning that these, these hints they got were quite a bit deeper. So one of the reasons that WA1 stuff stands out to a lot of investors is that it was super, super shallow. And the, one of the hits they got here was... That you know, 350 meters. And then they had samples of pre-collars that were, they were much closer to surface, but the sort of assays are still pending on them. So it was just three holes, but, you know, nevertheless, from the company's point of view, they've got, you know, those, those hints of niobium and rare earths in the carbonatite. So they've got someone to work with. It's um, exciting, right? We're probably going to have a lot of interest in this area now. We've got, yeah, two companies hitting carbonatites, which just, uh, rich with minerals. So, um, yeah, let's. Absolutely. And I think the, the amount of names we'll see across the country pop up hitting, hitting Niobium. We'll just keep, keep coming on. Hey. Niobium, mate. Mate. Orobanda. Mm. So we've, I'm not sure we've actually had the chance to dive too deep into them, but they're a company that sort of interest us. They've, they've got a sort of colorful history as well. They do. They, they didn't, they didn't have the best announcement today. 
you want to you want to run through that one? Disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they they've lowered their guidance by fourteen percent um, from a, a production perspective, and this is just in relation to their Q four production. Uh, what they label as the rationale for that is low crushing circuit availability and bearing failure in late June on the secondary crusher has impacted June 2023 quarter performance um, by 2,000 ounces. So the volume should uh, come in at 48,000 ounces for FY23. Uh, it is, it's disappointing to see they've had a pretty good run since Luke Cray joined and took the helm there. Um, everyone says lots of glowing things about Luke Cray. So, um, you know, he's he's definitely got a bit of um, renewed support for for Davy Hurst and Orabanda, which um, was 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 lacking. And I think the 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 step change that um, everyone's sort of waiting for there with Orabanda is the Riverina underground piece that's um, still underway and you get much higher grade um, when that ore starts going through the mill. But yeah, until then, then, you know, it might be a bit of rinse and repeat with the the typical performance of, of Orabanda. But um yeah, yeah, you're dead. You're dead right, Luke and the team there. They've won quite a few plaudits over over the past year, or maybe a bit longer than that now. So we'll have to wait and see. But like I said, that that underground is what we're waiting for. I reckon we jump into to Aris now. Bit of bit of copper. So other side of the country in Queensland, they came out with a mineral resource update for the Barbara deposit. So 2.2 million tons at two percent copper and 0.2 grams per ton gold. So that equals 45,000 tons of copper and 12,000 ounces of gold. Now, this, this Barbara deposit is actually an old open pit mine. So um, for those who haven't followed it too much, it's up near Cloncurry, like I said, in, in Queensland. Similar sort of neck of the woods to AIC. Uh, Ernest Henry is up there as well, and then Mount Mount Isa and, and all the history there. So next steps on, on this part to Eris, obviously they've got a few different projects going, but they're just going to look into a, an actual mining study here. And given that it's... It's on a mining lease, and like I said, there is the open pit history. I think the the metallurgy should be pretty well understood, so we'll just sort of have to keep our eyes peeled and see how that deposit progresses. Obviously, nothing massive, but in a in a sort of buoyant copper price environment, it, it could do all right. Mate, while we're talking about copper, uh, we've got two more copper companies to come. Carnaby, what's going on there? Mate, you and I have both been, been watching Carnaby, and now the announcement that came out today is it's not what we're... What we're looking for is it so they came out with met results from from mount hope now mount hope is the the sort of discovery that sits within this greater duchess copper gold project similar to eris in a in a similar part of the country up in queensland now just the the sort of headline numbers from the met work here was 91 to 99 percent recoveries on the copper and 82 to 95 percent for the gold now the the wording they used here was that this can produce an extremely clean copper gold concentrate. There was one other thing that I think's worth looking into a bit more. Like the the samples they used, the grade was pretty high. So it'd be interesting to see going forward when they when they test it with intercepts of slightly lower grade, how that sort of network holds up. But nevertheless, it does it does look pretty good. See- but what we really want to see is that maiden mineral resource so they they mentioned it in the announcement today but they didn't put a, a time on it they just said they're sort of working away towards it mate i'm Carnaby's, i'm waiting and i'm kind of intrigued and excited i i kind of is one of those uh companies i've brought up uh before just to, to illustrate a little bit of um misleading language in a headline where they talk about a, the length of an interval and then 
you scroll down to the fifth page and you realize it's not true width. So every time I, I read the announcement that, from that, Carnaby, my, that's why, my radar's on. <laughs> that's exactly why I'm excited for the resource, mate. <laughs> it's got to be true now, width. Now, let's stay... <laughs> Let's stay on copper, hot chili. So in Chile, what's going on there, mate? Oh, well, hot chili, they've come out with their preliminary economic assessment for the Costa Fuega uh, project. This is a big porphyry undeveloped copper project in Chile. There's the headline numbers I want to talk about, JD. Uh, it's got, and they've, they've run the study at a, a US $3.85 per pound copper price. NPV, $1.1 billion. These are all US dollars. CapEx, also 1.1 billion, uh, producing 95,000 tonnes of copper and 50,000 ounces of gold per annum over a 16-year mine life. So simultaneously with this announcement of the, uh, the study results, they also come out with this US $15 million deal with Ozisco. Uh, they get $15 million in the door to fund the next 12 to 18 months of development and Ozisco get a 1% net smelter royalty on the copper and a 3% net smelter royalty on the gold. We've been talking about royalties a bit, haven't we, JD? Wow. Wow. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Cisco might've been one of the parties that were involved in that CSA mine, Yep. you know, that streaming and all that financing there. So yeah, they do a lot, especially on TSX. Giving away 1%, you know, mm. it's interesting because obviously hot chili gets it in the door, whether they're the ones that actually you know, a junior is the one that develops this thing with a $1.1 billion US CapEx remains to be seen, but you know, that, yeah. that net smelter royalty is on the asset. Exactly. That, that's not, it doesn't stand with the company. So yeah, that's going to be there. Um, I look at, you know, if yeah. you're, if you're long copper, it's, you know, not a bad bit by a Cisco. Yeah. And I look at the, the CapEx to NPV ratio here. And oh, so, you know, it's about 1.1 billion, 1.1 billion, both CapEx and MPV. I'd like to see a bit more return for the upfront cost to get me really excited about the project. The, the, the lower that ratio, the harder it is to finance things. It's just a good, you know, thumb suck rule um, to, Agreed. To, 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 to figure out, you know, how financeable are things. You know, having said that though, um, the, it's a, a PEA with low confidence and at this stage capex is you know usually goes up from here so you can expect capex to, to climb but again if you use a four dollar twenty copper price npv goes to, to two billion um so i mean like i think it's one of those projects that will one day be a mine however it doesn't always mean that buying the equity today is a good idea because the journey can to get there can be long and sometimes pretty painful um, I'm also not a big Agreed. fan of that royalty, mate. Like to me, royalty is there, the lender of last resort. The advertiser is non-dilutive to the company, but they dilute the economics of the project into perpetuity. Um, you know, hot chili, they, they have this, um, they actually have a 10% sh strategic uh, shareholding uh, from Glencore. So Glencore owns 10% of them. And, um, and then Glencore also has some offtake rights as well. I would have been way more excited if uh, they did a strategic placement with Glencore or another party at a premium instead of this royalty. That'd be a big vote of confidence, I would have thought, instead of the royalty. Yeah. And, you know, on the topic of hot chili as well, Chile as a country hasn't been the best jurisdiction, you know, recently. They've had a, a pretty divisive political election in, in recent times. And obviously everything we'd seen about the, the sort of, you know, nationalization in quotation marks of 
lithium and how that plays out remains to be seen. Mm. And these, you know, these copper projects, these big porphyry ones have a huge footprint as well. They're big, big open pit things. They need a lot of water and all those sorts of things. So yep. it's a, a long road for, for the company or whoever to, to go down before this becomes a mine. Yeah. Sticking with base metals, mate, uh, we'll keep it brief. Mincor, they're climbing, they're climbing. Uh, they got till the 5th of July. They're now at 82%. Um, well, Wailu is at 82% of Mincor. So Time is on, mate. Time one, is on. one week to go. Yep. NRW. So Mount Catlin contract. We'd um we'd had a few thoughts about Mount Catlin. Obviously, it's an all-chem asset and all-chem in that tie-up with um, Livent or Livent, however you say that one, um, to be finalized later this year. So NRW issued a, a letter of intent from Allchem. This is the sort of mining services contract at the Mount Catlin mine, which is, of course, the, the open pit lithium mine near Ravensthorpe in WA. So they haven't actually been awarded the, the contract yet, but it's shaping up to be a 36-month, $332 million contract. It's just got a few outstanding terms to, to be wrapped up. And it just includes pretty standard stuff like, you know, loading old drill and blast and, you know, material rehandling. Very interesting, mate. So uh, this is just more more activity on Mount Catlin, which you previously speculated might fall out of the, the recent deal. Um, so Yeah, they'd, they'd extended that mine life recently as well, hadn't they? Five years from memory. So, yeah, I mean, I wonder what the, the change of control provision is for um, NRW there. I'm sure they'll have some protection in that instance. Me too, mate. Jevoir. Oh, your favourite. You love talking about Jevoir. It's the uh, cobalt. Mate, they it's are such a, a fascinating market. Now, I'm by, by no means long the stock, but I do find them fascinating. And also cobalt as a uh, as a commodity is super, super fascinating. So let's give the money miners a bit of a quick background. Obviously, they're, they're a cobalt player. Their share price is down over 90% over the past year. So they've had a, a pretty tough time of it. Probably because of your critiques of the, of the company on our potty, mate. <laughs> The, the momentum was well and truly there before. They've got three projects. So in Idaho, they've got an offline mine. They've got S&P, which is a, a non-functional uh, refinery in Brazil. And in Finland, they've got a, a functioning refinery. So on the, the sort of money side of things, they capped at $137 million, last traded at $0.6.6. Cents. So they're in a trading hole today. They're raising the money. They're raising money. We've seen this before, haven't Mate, we? We sure have. They they raised, wait for it, two hundred and thirty-one million bucks in just November of last year ago. Uh, last year, so that's Big. you know not even nine months ago. So that was one hundred thirteen million buck insto placement and one hundred eighteen million rights issue. The rights issue is, of course, just a, a cap raising that's offered to existing shareholders. And that was done at 42 cents. So bearing in mind what I said before, they're trading at 6.6 cents. That's, that's pretty rough. Now, we both noticed that um, the CEO did an interview not too long after that capital raising. And it's, it's something that's come across our table recently. We'd obviously spoken about Jeuvois not too long ago. And well, he said those famous last words, didn't he? Oh, mate, should we play it? Should we play it for the money miners? Why not? Why not? key is that we don't need any more capital for the current portfolio. Like that was the basis of raising $150 million because where that gives us a fully funded pathway. We're off to the races and then we've got three cash flow generating assets that are all on the sources side of the ledger, not the uses. Strong words, JD. What do you make of that? 
strong indeed. Uh, it just sort of goes to show, you know, yeah, you can't always take these things at face value, I guess. There's a, there's a few different lessons. And I think we'll just wrap up the background of this company. They also raised $136 million in 2021, and they issued a US $100 million bond. So they've been uh, quite busy on the on the sort of capital raising front. Now let's get wow. into uh, S&P. So this Dan is the refinery Miguel in Brazil. Paulista. Yep. That's right. So a nickel and cobalt refinery, uh, a non-functioning refinery. So Bryce Crocker, the, the CEO, he, he stressed in that, that same interview that you heard a snippet from that the raise is firstly about restarting San Miguel and having the flexibility to do so on our terms. Now he'd said that 80 to 85% of the proceeds, so that's like $190 million, was to go toward S&P. Now, the, the announcement that came out around the time of that financing, that said, obviously, that they're fully funded, uh, that S&P was fully funded as well, and the first production would be in the first quarter of 2024. We love the fully funded. Fully funded. Love it. We sure do, Matt. And just a few months later, in the March quarterly, so four, four odd months later, they came out with, with these quotes. Chevois has moderated the pace of the restart pending financing. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to say that, Cost guidance remains unchanged at US $65 million. Mm. So, you know, despite earmarking all, all the capital toward it, and can't say if all of it actually went toward it in the end, but still a huge chunk needs to go. We, uh, we heard those famous words, fully funded, and we, you know, yet again, not exclusive to Genevois by any means, couldn't take them at face value. Uh, I uh, just, just don't say them. Like, just don't say, if, yeah, just, yeah, if you'd. So there's, there's a bunch of other sort of random thoughts and, you know, things that popped up just, just reading about this, uh, this company. So directors about a month after that cap raise sold stock. So not, not something we love to see, but you know, to be, to be honest in our analysis, we've also got to say that some directors picked up stock earlier this year, although that was at a much, much lower price than some of that stock was sold. Now, listeners, they might also remember, we spoke about them not too long ago, being awarded 15 million US bucks from the Department of Defense in America. Now, that was specifically relating to drilling and doing a, a BFS to the um, to assess the sort of potential viability of a cobalt refinery in the US. So we've done a bit of digging on the, the, investment, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act recently, and we sort of learned you know, and in doing our analysis over the past few months that there would be some, you know, additional financial benefits from, from the US government if they, they were to pursue this, but it remains to be saying what the actual economics of that could be. Now, we've also got to talk about the cobalt price. So it's an interesting one, right? Because there are a couple of commodities that appear to be getting, yeah, thrown around a, a bit and um, people who are in the weeds on those specific commodities often point to the way that China stockpiles and, and depletes their stockpiles is, um, is, is a partial Absolutely. explanation. We'll, we'll get into that. So firstly, like we sort of said, and you can see that the commodity price has come off over 60%. Now we've talked in the past about, you know, structural issues. A lot of battery makers don't want cobalt in their battery. So that's, that's going to take quite a while to play out, but it's a, it's an issue nonetheless that the, the commodity is facing. And on top of that, whenever we talk about Jevois and cobalt, we always have to mention that cobalt is a byproduct in, in a bunch of different mines and operations around the world. 
So you're not going to get those normal, you know, demand and supply dynamics that you would with a, with a more normal commodity. So it's, it's not always as straightforward as it might seem. Now, speaking to your point, Trav, on, on how funky some of these smaller commodities can act. I was looking through their, one of their latest presentations, and this was at the, the Canaccord conference in May. And on slide eight, they show something which was super intriguing to me. And I'm honestly not entirely sure what the right takeaway is, but maybe one of the money miners will have a better takeaway. They can feel free to, to get in touch, but we'll give it a go nevertheless. So the, the slide shows Chinese share of refined cobalt globally. Now they list Jevois as the smallest of the top 10 cobalt refiners by 2022 volume. Now, seven of those 10 are purely Chinese. One of them is a JV between a European and a Chinese party. And then you've got Glencore and Jevois. They got a foothold, so, don't they? Yeah, there's, there's a few different takeaways from that. So one of them, something you'd referenced before, there is a bit of merit to the argument that Jevois could have some strategic importance like that you, from that you can kind of buy it given the the importance of cobalt currently and that sort of explains why the department of defense gives them 15 million bucks in america but to your other point it makes me think straight away i'd be i'd be worried of the potential capacity and the, you know leaving it at the hands of one of these bigger producers to just wipe out the competition i.e sort of increase supply you know flood the market and just make it super, super tough for all their competitors. So especially, in that chart, especially you can see, if one of the, you know, in Javas' case, they've um, had a pretty leveraged balance sheet in the past. I'm sure oh, the equity raises. We're, we're going to get help, into that more that, too. But um, yeah, so absolutely. So yeah, and for for those listening, the top two in that largest ten producers of cobalt, those two alone combine to produce more than the the other eight combined. So there's. There's a lot of potential power resting with those two. So the, the sort of intricacies of how the cobalt market work is a bit too opaque to me and it'd take quite a, quite a deep dive to, to get into how it all works. So I'm not sure what the actual merits are, but it's definitely an, a concern that sort of comes to mind thinking about it. Jody, what do you, what do you make of Javois' capability of, you know, making cash? Mate, I've got a few. I've got a few gripes to pick with this one too. So, the the term adjusted EBITDA is something we've previously flagged. Now, you know, it sort of it can have its place, I guess. But you don't need it in mining, what mate. They're often you don't adjust- need it in mining. <laughs> yeah, what they're often adjusting for is the the change in value of inventory, i.e., cobalt that sits on their balance sheet. So their last quarterly flagged US 66 million in physical inventory. Now, since March 31st, the cobalt price has come off a bit more than 15%. So if they're sort of, I'm not entirely sure how they mark that, that pricing, but if they, they mark it to the more current price, that's, I've, that's I've read a bit it before. of a hit. They do, they, 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 they mark it to yeah, a previous dated price rather than um, current, yeah. current market prices. And so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the takeaway which is something you flagged before as well, you know, cash flow from operations, adjusted EBITDA, you just got to be wary. They're, they're not going to show this change, are they? No, no. And you, you, yeah, like the way that some of these companies work where they're playing in um, commodities that have a bit of an opaque trading market with, with the inventory, the way it works is you, you stockpile your inventory, it goes up 
when the prices go down because you're you're making a loss on it if you if you were to sell it then. So you you can't be marking that inventory at the prices that it was before because you can't realistically get that price for it now. And if you did sell it, you'd dip the price even more. So yeah, yeah. And they've flagged their their intention to wind down that inventory a bit, so they're going to have to realize a bit of a hit. So the last thing I want to talk about is the debt. So if you if you look at their last quarterly, they've drawn 170 million US out of a supposed 250 million that's available. That 250 million, it doesn't really reveal the full picture though, because as things stand, it's it's not available to them. So the first 100 million, that's a bond that'll come due in July of 2026. And then you look at the remaining 150 million. Now 70 million of that has been drawn. However, if you if you actually dig into what the terms are, the max they can draw is 80% of inventories plus receivables. Now, given what I just mentioned about how they value the inventory and how the value is coming off, plus what I also said about Chevois explicit interest in reducing their inventory, they're actually at the pretty close to that upper bound of what they can borrow there. So Mm. It might look like if you just flick through the quarterly that they've got capacity to draw another 80 million, but it's just, it's just not the case. Yeah. So to, to round off on that debt, that hundred million bond that's paying annually 12.5% US of course. So that'd be 12.5 million US dollars and the other 70 million, that's at a roughly a rate of 10% as well. So that's, that's pretty hard work for, for a company like this in this sort of shape. Yeah, I got I got details of the the capital raising here too, JD. So raising fifty million bucks US, twenty five million in convertibles with a coupon of six point five percent, and twenty five million dollars US equity raising. Yep, there you go, there you go. So it's it's fascinating from so many different angles, and you know, like I sort of said before, we probably we probably missed a few. I've probably missed a few or been wrong on a few of the details. So some of the money miners just feel free to to call me out on that but yeah i think it's a super super interesting space it is indeed jd it is indeed all right mate i think that's a wrap uh we're gonna i think it is mate gonna... good effort hey oh i reckon i reckon we did some hope, hope matty's healing up well yeah that, that hangover bug can be vicious i hope so i do hope so too we uh miss you maddie i hope you're listening to this one um and hooteroo hooteroo The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.